Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe Chapter 9 A Boat, Part 3 Another reflection was of great use to me, and doubtless would be so to anyone that should fall into such distress as mine was, and this was to compare my present condition with what I at first expected it would be, nay, with what it would certainly have been, if the good providence of God had not wonderfully ordered the ship to be cast up nearer to the shore, where I could not only come at her, but could bring what I got out of her to the shore for my relief and comfort, without which I had wanted for tools to work, weapons for defense, and gunpowder and shot for getting my food. I spent whole hours, I may say whole days, in representing to myself in the most lively colors how I must have acted if I had got nothing out of the ship, how I could not have so much as got any food, except fish and turtles, and that, as it was long before I found any of them, I must have perished first, that I should have lived if I had not perished like a mere savage, that if I had killed a goat or a fowl by any contrivance, I had no way to flay or open it, or part the flesh from the skin in the bowels, or to cut it up, but must gnaw it with my teeth and pull it with my claws like a beast. These reflections made me very sensible of the goodness of providence to me, and very thankful for my present condition, with all its hardships and misfortunes. And this part also I cannot but recommend to the reflection of those who are apt, in their misery, to say, Is any affliction like mine? Let them consider how much worse the cases of some people are, and their case might have been, if providence had thought fit. I had another reflection which assisted me also to comfort my mind with hopes, and this was comparing my present situation with what I had deserved, and had therefore reason to expect from the hand of providence. I had lived a dreadful life, perfectly destitute of the knowledge and fear of God. I had been well instructed by father and mother. Neither had they been wanting to me in their early endeavors to infuse a religious awe of God into my mind, a sense of my duty and what the nature and end of my being required of me. But alas, falling early into the seafaring life, which of all lives is the most destitute of the fear of God, though his terrors are always before them, I say falling early into the seafaring life and into seafaring company, all that little sense of religion which I had entertained was laughed out of me by my messmates, by a hardened despising of dangers, and the views of death which grew habitual to me by my long absence from all manner of opportunities to converse with anything but what was like myself, or to hear anything that was good or tended towards it. So void was I of everything that was good, or the least sense of what I was, or was to be, that, in the greatest deliverances I enjoyed, such as my escape from Sally, my being taken up by the Portuguese master of the ship, my being planted so well in the Brazils, my receiving the cargo from England, and the like. I never had once the words, thank God, so much as on my mind, or in my mouth, nor in the greatest distress had I so much as a thought to pray to him, or so much as to say, Lord have mercy upon me. No, nor to mention the name of God, unless it was to swear by, and blaspheme it. I had terrible reflections upon my mind for many months as I have already observed, on account of my wicked and hardened life past. And when I looked about me, 
and considered what particular providences had attended me since my coming into this place, and how God had dealt bountifully with me, had not only punished me less than my iniquity had deserved, but had so plentifully provided for me, this gave me great hopes that my repentance was accepted, and that God had yet mercy in store for me. With these reflections I worked my mind up, not only to a resignation to the will of God in the present disposition of my circumstances, but even to a sincere thankfulness for my condition, and that I, who was yet a living man, ought not to complain, seeing I had not the due punishment of my sins, that I enjoyed so many mercies which I had no reason to have expected in that place, that I ought never more to repine at my condition, but to rejoice, and to give daily thanks for that daily bread, which nothing but a crowd of wonders could have brought, that I ought to consider I had been fed even by a miracle, even as great as that of feeding Elijah by ravens, nay, by a long series of miracles, and that I could hardly have named a place in the uninhabitable part of the world where I could have been cast more to my advantage, a place where, as I had no society, which was my affliction on one hand, so I found no ravenous beasts, no furious wolves or tigers to threaten my life, no venomous creatures or poisons which I might feed on to my hurt, no savages to murder and devour me. In a word, as my life was a life of sorrow one way, so it was a life of mercy another, and I wanted nothing to make it a life of comfort but to be able to make my sense of God's goodness to me and care over me in this condition, be my daily consolation. And after I did make a just improvement on these things, I went away, and was no more sad. I had now been here so long that many things which I had brought on shore for my help were either quite gone, or very much wasted and near spent. My ink, as I observed, had been gone some time, all but a very little, which I eked out with water, a little and a little, till it was so pale it scarce left any appearance of black upon the paper. As long as it lasted I made use of it to minute down the days of the month on which any remarkable thing happened to me. And first, by casting up times past, I remembered that there was a strange concurrence of days in the various providences which befell me, and which, if I had been superstitiously inclined to observe days as fatal or fortunate, I might have had reason to have looked upon with a great deal of curiosity. First, I had observed that the same day that I broke away from my father and friends and ran away to Hull in order to go to sea, the same day afterwards I was taken by the Sally man of war and made a slave, the same day of the year that I escaped out of the wreck of that ship in Yarmouth Roads, that same day year afterwards I made my escape from Sally in a boat, the same day of the year I was born on, namely the 30th of September. That same day I had my life so miraculously saved twenty-six years after, when I was cast on shore in this island, so that my wicked life and my solitary life began both on a day. The next thing to my ink being wasted was that of my bread. I mean the biscuit which I brought out of the ship. This I had husbanded to the last degree, allowing myself but one cake of bread a day for above a year. And yet I was quite without bread for near a year before I got any corn of my own, and great reason I had to be thankful that I had any at all, the getting it being, as has been already observed, next to miraculous. My clothes, too, began to decay. As to linen, I had none a good while, except some checkered shirts, which I found in the chests of the other seamen, and which I carefully preserved, because many times I could bear no other clothes on but a shirt. 
and it was a very great help to me that I had, among all the men's clothes of the ship, almost three dozen of shirts. There were also, indeed, several thick watch coats of the seamen's, which were left, but they were too hot to wear. And though it is true that the weather was so violently hot that there was no need of clothes, yet I could not go quite naked. No, though I had been inclined to it, which I was not, nor could I abide the thought of it, though I was alone. The reason why I could not go naked was, I could not bear the heat of the sun so well when quite naked, as with some clothes on. Nay, the very heat frequently blistered my skin, whereas, with a shirt on, the air itself made some motion, and whistling under the shirt was twofold cooler than without it. No more could I ever bring myself to go out in the heat of the sun without a cap or a hat. The heat of the sun beating with such violence as it does in that place would give me the headache presently, by darting so directly on my head, without a cap or hat on, that I could not bear it. Whereas, if I put on my hat, it would presently go away. Upon these views I began to consider about putting the few rags I had, which I called clothes, into some order. I had worn out all the waistcoats I had, and my business was now to try if I could not make jackets out of the great watchcoats which I had by me, and with such other materials as I had. So I set to work, tailoring, or rather, indeed, botching, for I made most piteous work of it. However, I made shift to make two or three new waistcoats, which I hoped would serve me a great while. As for breeches or drawers, I made but a very sorry shift, indeed, till afterwards. I have mentioned that I saved the skins of all the creatures that I killed, I mean four-footed ones, and I had them hung up, stretched out with sticks in the sun, by which means some of them were so dry and hard that they were fit for little, but others were very useful. The first thing I made of these was a great cap for my head, with the hair on the inside, to shoot off the rain. And this I performed so well, that after I made me a suit of clothes wholly of these skins, that is to say a waistcoat, and breeches open at the knees, and both loose, for they were rather wanting to keep me cool than to keep me warm. I must not omit to acknowledge that they were wretchedly made, for if I was a bad carpenter, I was a worse tailor. However, they were such as I made very good shift with, and when I was out, if it happened to rain, the hair of my waistcoat and cap being outermost, I was kept very dry. After this, I spent a great deal of time and pains to make an umbrella. I was, indeed, in a great want of one, and had a great mind to make one. I had seen them made in the Brazils, where they are very useful in the great heats there, and I felt the heats every jot as great here, and greater too, being near the equinox. Besides, as I was obliged to be much abroad, it was a most useful thing to me, as well for the rains as the heats. I took a world of pains with it, and was a great while before I could make anything likely to hold. Nay, after I had thought I had hit the way, I spoiled two or three, before I made one to my mind. But at last I made one that answered indifferently well. The main difficulty I found was to make it let down. I could make it spread, but if it did not let down too and draw in, it was not portable for me anyway but just over my head, which would not do. However, at last, as I said, I made one to answer, and covered it with skins, the hair upwards, so that it cast off the rain like a penthouse, and kept off the sun so effectually that I could walk out in the hottest of the weather with greater advantage than I could before in the coolest, and when I had no need of it, could close it and carry it under my arm. Thus I lived mighty comfortably, my mind being entirely composed by resigning myself to the will of God.
and throwing myself wholly upon the disposal of his providence. This made my life better than sociable, for when I began to regret the want of conversation, I would ask myself whether thus conversing mutually with my own thoughts, and, as I hope I may say, with even God himself, by ejaculations, was not better than the utmost enjoyment of human society in the world. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>